Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. A pretty, blonde-haired young woman walked into a Caltex gas station in Mitchell, Australia. She was a 22-year-old British backpacker who was visiting the country on a prolonged vacation. Video footage from the gas station shows her walking in wearing flip-flops on her feet, a purple sundress, and matching purple bruises on her face and body. She looks over her shoulder toward her car parked outside and walks up to the cashier. She had mentally noted a sign saying that anyone who drives away without paying for their fuel will be prosecuted and that the police will be called immediately. She walks up to the cashier with tears rolling down her face and tells the woman that she doesn't have any money to pay. She then walks out and drives off. The cashier is concerned and confused. As required by her boss, she calls the police and gives them a description of the woman and the car. Minutes later, Alicia Greer's heart drops as she sees police lights flashing behind her. Her fears aren't from breaking the law, though. No, the police don't scare her. But what did scare her more than anything else was not a what, but a who. And he was kneeling on the floor of her car behind her seat with a knife in his hand. Welcome to Twisted Travel and True Crime. I'm your host, Sandy, and today we are headed to Cairns in Australia. In true crime news, Cairns is probably most well known for the Cairns child murders that happened in 2014. A woman named Raina Thide was a single mother of eight children who lived in the ordinary suburb of Cairns. She had a happy, well-mannered family, and her oldest, a 20-year-old, had already moved out of the house, but often visited his family. That's what he was doing when he came across his mother standing out on her veranda, staggering around in a confused state. She was drenched in blood and had numerous stab wounds all over her body. The police were called, and when they went inside the house, they found the inside of the house painted in the blood of Raina's eight dead children. She was the only survivor. She was taken to the hospital, where it was discovered that her injuries seemed unnatural. It turned out that Raina's wounds were self-inflicted. She had stabbed herself 38 times, with one stab wound puncturing a lung. It's not a case the community will ever forget. It's also not the case I'm covering today. Longtime listeners will know I prefer cases that have a traveling aspect to them, and today's case is one of those. So let's dive in. Alicia Greer wanted to have an exciting long holiday. Her parents encouraged her to do something fun, and her godparents lived in Australia. So why not visit them and then spend some time exploring the country? Alicia thought it was a good idea. She didn't know much about Australia and hadn't done much planning for this extended trip. She thought she'd go with the flow. She'd do something new and different and adventurous, and off she went. She'd spent some time with her godparents before deciding to do some extended traveling and sightseeing. In 2015, she had hardly a care in the world. She was 20 years old, and she didn't know how long she'd stay in Australia. But she quickly made friends and thoroughly enjoyed the landscapes. She shared many of her photos of her adventures online with her friends back home in England. Her mom was envious of her travels. But she was also very proud of Alicia. She felt that Alicia would be safe, even though she was doing the trip alone. Alicia was strong-willed and independent, 
which were traits her mother wanted her to continue to build. She would call her mother to tell her how beautiful the sights were and how much her mom would love it there. One day, she called asking her mom for money to buy a car. That way she could have some independence and see a little more of the Australian countryside. She bought a car, took the back seats out, and turned the back into a bed. She outfitted the 4x4 to make it comfortable and named the vehicle Bruce. Bruce gave Alicia freedom to explore. She'd crank the music up and daydream as she drove along the coast. She was taking some time to reflect on her travels as the sun baked her skin and she sipped a cold beer. For 18 months, she'd been backpacking along the east coast of Australia. For the moment, she was settled in Cairns, where she was living and working a little bit. She thought to herself, this is the life, as she sat back relaxing. Her only worry was that she was running low on money. She did hairdressing and makeup, as well as various other jobs to keep money in her pocket. While she was in Cairns, she posted on Couchsurfing.com. We talked about Couchsurfing briefly in another episode. But if you missed it, or you're not familiar with it, it's a website and app that helps travelers find a place to stay, or allows people to share their homes with travelers. One of their taglines says, You have friends all over the world. You just haven't met them yet. The first step is to complete a profile. No, this isn't a commercial. Bear with me. When you create a profile, you tell the people you might meet a little bit about yourself. Alicia's profile read, my name is Alicia. I'm from England, Liverpool. I'm an open-minded person. I'm here on couch surfing because I'm traveling up to Cairns and I'm staying in certain towns for a night or two, and I'm hoping I'll meet some interesting people on the way. Also, I'm really struggling with money at the moment, as I've spent it all on a trip from Brisbane to Cairns. She listed some helpful skills like hairdressing, barbering, and applying makeup, and explained that she was spending a little over a month traveling the whole East Coast and doing some amazing things along the way. What would happen over the next couple of months wasn't amazing at all, but her experience in covering imperfections with makeup would regrettably come in handy. It all began when she met a young man named Marcus Martin. She and some new friends had decided to attend a dance party on Australia Day. So this couple, they met at an outdoor dance party called a Bush Doof. As I understand it, a bush doof is basically a rave thrown in a remote outdoor setting. If you went to one of these, typically you'd hear electronic or psychedelic trance music, and grass would be your dance floor. Sometimes these parties are small, with just a dozen friends dancing around a stereo, but the size extends all the way up to multi-day festivals that attract thousands of partiers. They possess a unique vibe that sets them apart from other festivals. Sometimes there are light shows, art installations, and workshops all taking place in a natural, serene setting. Let's not forget the occasional use of narcotics thrown in here and there, which would produce unique sensory experiences for the revelers. The tickets are usually pretty cheap, and some of the attendees camp nearby. Alicia and her friends thought this would be a great time, so they packed their eskies, or portable coolers, and headed to the party. Alicia found herself enjoying the bush doof, but she enjoyed it even more after meeting Marcus Martin. Her friends would say that when she set her eyes on Marcus, she was spellbound. He was charismatic, bubbly, and had a bad boy look about him that Alicia was attracted to. To me, he looks like a cross between Adam Levine and Post Malone and a little junkie thrown in for good measure. I don't mean to be insulting, just descriptive. He was tall and slim, with distinctive face tattoos. 
He turned on the charm for Alicia. She felt like he was a nice guy, and they got along well. Her friends didn't get the same feeling. One friend would say that he didn't like Marcus at all and that he hoped the man would bugger off. It was a gut feeling of distrust, one that would ultimately be proven true. Marcus and Alicia chatted each other up that night and spent time together over the next day or two. The day after they met, Marcus took videos of himself laying on his back on the hood of Alicia's car while hanging on to ropes to keep himself in place. She's driving fast down an old dirt road while he's riding on the hood, all the while making hideous faces and sticking his tongue in and out like a madman. I guess some people might find this attractive, but it reminded me of the faces warriors make when doing the haka dance. You know what I'm talking about, the ones the Maori use to intimidate their enemies. I suppose one man's fish is another man's poison. They exchanged phone numbers. A few days later, he texted her and asked her out for dinner. Sushi was on the menu. She enjoyed the dinner with him and having someone to hang out with. She says she wasn't thinking of romance at the time, but she enjoyed his friendship. He was fun and lively, and Alicia would tell her mother about him. But she couldn't share what she didn't know, and that was that Marcus had a history of drug abuse and assault. He had spent time in prison. Alicia was a vibrant young and possibly naive tourist, and Marcus was looking for a target one with a car, some money, and one he could dominate. Alicia was his bullseye. He love-bombed her, wanting to spend as much time with her as he could. He hit her up for money and wanted to share a hotel room with her. In what seemed like a blink of an eye, he showed her his gun, telling her it was for protection because there were people after him and he needed to hide. In hindsight, Alicia felt something wasn't right. She briefly considered leaving his company because she was concerned about her own safety, but for some reason, she didn't leave. Two weeks after their first date, they would go out together for drinks. That night, Marcus drank heavily. He drunkenly and possessively slurred to his friends that Alicia was his girlfriend. Alicia remembers being a bit taken aback, but at the same time, Marcus seemed to be in a tense mood, so she didn't correct him. Later that night, in their shared hotel room, she received a text from someone they had met that night. The text was something about how Alicia had looked cute. She showed the message to Marcus, and he lost it. He accused her of getting with other guys, and when she tried to explain things, his anger built until he started throwing things around the room. Alicia grew scared. Suddenly he pounced on her and choked her until she passed out. When she awoke, he was on top of her, pulling down her underwear, and then he was raping her. She couldn't fight him off because terror had overtaken her body. Afterwards, he took her passport and her phone and threatened her, saying, I'll keep a hold of these. I'm in a biker gang. If you leave me, they'll find you and your family and kill you. All while holding a knife in his hands. That threat hit home for her. She was terrified and didn't want anything to happen to her family. And that's when she realized that she was completely under his control and essentially a hostage. From that day forward, they moved around Cannes switching hotels or caravan parks every day. He isolated her, making sure they only left their room if they had to. Once under his control, she said she was forced into helping Marcus rob a drug dealer. He held a gun to her head and made her do the driving. After the robbery, high on drugs, he lost his temper again, destroying another hotel room, 
punching holes in walls and cabinets and throwing the mattress onto the floor before beating Alicia. She wanted to leave, but was afraid she'd be killed. He punched her in the face, breaking her nose, and even tried to gouge out her eyes. He choked her again until she passed out. His words to her before she went unconscious were sleep now. She was shattered physically and emotionally. Every time he raped her and attacked her, he'd act remorseful, apologizing and begging for forgiveness. He would cuddle her, and then he blamed her for his actions. Let's be real here. He wasn't sorry. He was just hoping for more time, more control over her, and every last ounce of whatever he could take from her. One thing he claimed to want was a baby. He would throw away her contraceptives, intending to get her pregnant. Alicia guessed this was one more way he would try to control her. He'd already taken her phone and forced her to take pictures to send to her family, saying, look happy, while he snapped the photos. He was completely out of control. Alicia noticed he was getting texts all the time. He wouldn't show her what they were, but she happened to catch a glimpse of one, and the text said something like, they knew where he was and they were coming for him. So maybe he wasn't completely crazy and someone really was after him. But either way, he decided he needed to get out of Cairns. He and Alicia would start driving south, but before doing so, he destroyed her phone. Their first stop was Goldsboro, where he would beat her again, breaking her nose. As one does, she would daydream as she drove, but not about the happy things she used to daydream about. Now she dreamed of stabbing Marcus while he slept. She really wanted to, but she was afraid she wouldn't be successful and that he would turn around and kill her. She didn't want to make a mistake. She thought her best plan would be to get someone's attention. They continued driving south for days. All the while, Alicia was trying to get people's attention. She would stare at them until they looked at her. She hoped her bruised and swollen face would garner sympathy, and maybe someone would help her. No one did. Further south, in a town called St. Lawrence, she wrote a plea for help in a visitor's log. But once again, no one could help her. She remained hopeful. After four days of driving, they would end up in a town called Banana. They pulled into a truck stop. Marcus hid behind the seats out of sight, while Alicia went inside to get gas. On Channel 7 News Story, the gas attendant at the truck stop is interviewed. He described Alicia as looking horribly bruised and battered. She was very frightened. She had tears rolling down her cheeks, two black eyes, and swollen cheeks. Alicia told him she had been beaten, was alone, and had no money to pay for gas. The attendant, named Vince, did what he thought was right, and he paid for her gas. Alicia would later say that he was so nice, but she wished he would have called the police instead. She got back into the car and they continued to drive. It was yet another missed opportunity. Back in the car, Marcus acted like nothing bad was happening. He sang along with the music and tried to hold a conversation, but Alicia preferred to keep quiet and just keep driving. Five days passed since they left Cairns. She decided something had to change. Her next fuel stop would be the one we opened this episode with. As you recall, this fuel stop was different. The cashier who noticed Alicia's black eyes and bruised neck would call the police. She described Alicia's car and said that Alicia was distressed, crying, shaking, and in an almost zombie-like state. Acting quickly, the police would pull Alicia over 
and direct her to follow them to the police station that was just around the corner. They would escort her from the car, not noticing that Marcus was still hiding in the back. The police began to question her. They wanted her to call someone who would pay for the gas. She called her godfather, who would pay, but he knew immediately that something was wrong just by the sound of his goddaughter's voice. Police sent something as well and decided to take a second look through Alicia's car. A few minutes later, they find Marcus hiding in an alcove in the rear of the four-wheel drive. When he's taken out of the vehicle, he starts screaming at Alicia, saying, Don't tell them anything. Don't tell them anything. He was brought inside the police station, and the two were separated. And that's when Alicia finally opens up to police, telling them everything that had happened to her since she crossed paths with Marcus Martin. She would go to the hospital, where she would be treated for broken bones and horrible bruises. She would describe her injuries herself in the interview with Channel 7. He broke my nose, split my eyebrow open. I had various amounts of bite marks all up and down my arms. I had bite marks on my face. He had stabbed me in the neck with the key. I had two black eyes. I had handprints all over my body. Bruises. You could see the thumb and fingers. I had bruises on my scalp, a stab mark on my back where he tried to stab the key through my spine. You could see the bruises. So many bruises. There are photos of her injuries available online, and they match exactly what she describes. She would press charges, and an investigation would begin. At the first opportunity, Alicia called her mother to tell her the news, but she wouldn't feel completely safe until she saw her mother in person. Alicia's mother boarded the earliest flight she could to go comfort her daughter, but even with her efforts, it was still several days before they could hold each other. Alicia's mother said something, that I bet so many mothers who have gone through similar situations would agree with. She said, I'd like to put him in a room full of moms that this happened to, and we can just be left there for an hour with him. She said she wanted to rip his balls off, and that she hopes he rots in jail. It would be quite some time before Alicia would be able to go home to England, because Marcus had destroyed her passport. Later, an ex-girlfriend of Marcus's would come forward to share her experience with him. Her name was Hannah. She said Marcus came off as a good person and was well-spoken and kind. Days later, Martin would move in with her. At the time, this woman's father was terminally ill, and the attention paid to her by Marcus made her feel good. He helped her with her father, which she was grateful for. Their relationship progressed quickly, and before she realized what was going on, she was being told to stay away from her family and friends. Then the beatings began. The first time, Marcus thought she was messaging someone, and he grabbed her by the throat. The second time, he punched her in the face. The beatings escalated from there. Even though she was afraid of being alone, in time she realized that being with him was worse. She then found out that Marcus was due in court to face assault charges. At that point, Marcus decided to run, but not alone. He would force Hannah to come with him and be the driver. I never saw an explanation as to why he didn't drive himself. Maybe he never learned how. Regardless, he held a knife to her throat and threatened the lives of her family. He was high on methamphetamine and carried a gun, a knife, and knuckle dusters. This all sounds familiar, doesn't it? He had even tried to set Hannah on fire, 
but that was only after he had cut her with a sword. She would describe him as completely and utterly batshit crazy. Hannah found it easier to just go numb and go along with whatever Marcus wanted. During this extended road trip, Hannah would find out she was pregnant with Marcus' child. All she wanted was to go somewhere safe and be away from Marcus. She didn't know how to get away from him, but her saving grace was a car accident. Her car was totaled, and she wasn't of use to him anymore. She had no car, she had no money left, and she was a shell of who she used to be. And this was when Marcus decided to move on. Pregnant and alone, Hannah went to a women's shelter where she stayed until she made enough money to go home. While she was doing this, Marcus set his sights on Alicia. Hannah looks back, wishing she had pressed charges. That way, maybe, Alicia wouldn't have been hurt. The reporter from Channel 7 News would ask Alicia if she ever had feelings for Marcus, but she replied, I don't want to say that I liked him because I don't. I can't say it. I can't say the words. She understandably hates him now, but says that hate is too soft a word to use for her feelings. Marcus would eventually appear for court via a video link after pleading guilty to three counts of rape and one count of deprivation of liberty. He watched the proceedings from a Brisbane prison, dressed in a white t-shirt, his face covered in tattoos, and hands clasped for the entire three-hour sentencing. When the judge handed down the sentence, he declared Martin a serious, violent offender, meaning he must serve at least 80% of his sentence. The Crown Prosecutor would tell the court that Alicia and Marcus immediately formed an intimate relationship, but within two weeks, Marcus turned violent, routinely beating Alicia up and raping her. He cut her British passport up before embarking on the road trip in an attempt to isolate her. Marcus' lawyer would argue that the pair were in a dysfunctional relationship and they were using drugs together. The court would hear about Marcus' life, one in which he suffered significant physical abuse at the hands of his mother's successive boyfriends. The defense would also talk about Marcus' drug use, saying that he and the victim lived life in the fast lane together. He would say the couple were using meth during the time they were together, and the drug caused Marcus to become paranoid and psychotic. He would also claim that Alicia knew where they were going on the road trip, and that they together had a plan to drive south. Although their relationship was highly dysfunctional, they were boyfriend and girlfriend, and they had a plan to find some work, maybe at a cattle station. Their accounts varied, but the damage to Alicia's body and her pleas for help along the way were telling. Marcus Martin pled guilty to rape and kidnapping and would be sentenced to 10 years in jail. Ironically, just this morning, as I finished the writing on this case, I came across a brand new article about Marcus Martin. According to the Townsville Bulletin, written just 11 hours ago, He's facing fresh charges for brutally assaulting two security guards in prison. I think he'll be in jail for quite a while. In the meantime, Alicia vows to return to Australia to start a new life. She says, I'm not going to be broken. My life won't be defined by what he's done. I always wanted to live in Australia, and I'm going to do it. He'll be free one day, but I'm not afraid of him. I won't let him rule my life. Since the incident, Alicia says she drank a lot to blot out her ordeal and struggles to trust men. She's hounded constantly by internet creeps. 
She said she was trolled online when she went public about her ordeal. Some people would say she was helping him with his criminal activity. She also thought the police didn't believe her at first, which hurt her feelings. She got creepy messages from men on Facebook. One wrote, I've seen your story, and I'd never do anything like that to you, princess. While another said, I'd love to rape you. Sickos. She's learned to ignore them and refuse to be broken by this part of her life. She hopes to be an inspiration to other women who have been through something similar, and she enjoys the support of her family, who have been encouraging her and her plan to move to Australia. I hope she's where she wants to be and that she's happy and, of course, that she remains safe from men like Marcus Martin. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, review, and join me on social media. If you'd like to contribute monetarily to the podcast, there are links in the show description that will allow you to do so, as well as links to social media. Thank you very much for your support, in whatever way it comes. I'd like to take a minute to pass out some special thank yous. The first is to rlong26, who gives me five stars. She says, Sandy's a great storyteller. Love her voice and her comments. It's very soft and soothing. She speaks very clearly and tells the story really well. I've recommended it to several people, and they love her too. She'll put in her own silly remarks with good taste that make me laugh, and I love it. Definitely should try it out if you haven't already. Thanks, Sandy. Keep them coming. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to write a review. Also, thank you to Rose Lily Violet, who gave me five stars, saying, Great. This is a really good podcast. Great voice and delivery. Interesting cases. And last but not least, I'd like to thank Michael C., who reached out through Facebook to review. He said, Definitely five stars. I came across this podcast and find it superb. The stories are interesting and well-written. The production values are excellent. And Sandy's lovely voice is one I'd like to hear if I ever wind up on the last mile. So different from the podcasts full of irrelevant house banter and barely correct facts. Thank you all so much for listening. And as always, I'd like to wish you fair winds, following seas, and safe travels of all kinds. Who wants to go on a road trip? All we need is a well-balanced diet of caffeine, salt, and sugar a bunch of true crime podcasts, and some directions. <laughs>